Hey friends, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Dylan Bowman. Today we are joined by Aaron Lutzi, a dear friend and mentor who is returning for his second appearance on the show. Aaron was responsible for recruiting me to Red Bull and operated as my athlete manager for many years before he moved on. He was also critically the catalyzing force for me to start this silly podcast a few years ago, something I will always be grateful for in a story that we recount in today's episode. And even though we don't work together directly anymore, we still talk on the phone multiple times per week and he is still the number one sounding board for me when I'm kicking around a new idea or wrestling with a free trail related problem. Quite frankly, Lutzi is the man. He is universally loved in the industry and it's great that we can get him some shine on the program. And luckily for us, Aaron is now sharing all his brilliant insights about sports marketing here on the show and also on his new YouTube channel called Super Athlete. This being contract season for a lot of athletes, I figured it'd be a good time to get Lutzi back on the show, give you a glimpse into the conversations we have on the phone. So we talk about the past and present of athlete partnerships, the reasons brands sponsor athletes to begin with, the value of creating long-form content, the difference between audience and community, the future of athlete partnerships, and a lot more. Today's conversation will hopefully be entertaining for all audiences, but definitely hugely relevant to professional professional athletes and aspiring professional athletes in the sport, as well as those hoping to make a living or build a career in the outdoor industry. So if you like it, go click through the show notes and subscribe to Aaron's YouTube channel where he's sharing out all this wisdom for free. And hint, hint, Lutzi and I are currently incubating a new media property that I think has the potential to be huge that we'll hopefully be launching in early 2024. So I hope you enjoy this preview conversation. A couple more quick things to get to before the show this week. We're going to be doing a bunch of content at the running event, TRE, where we'll be talking to people from a bunch of different brands about their products and their strategy in the trail category. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to check out all that content that we'll be doing there. We may put some of it here in the podcast feed, but the bulk will live in video format. So make sure you go subscribe. Finally, go vote for the Ketone IQ Trail Runner of the Year. We're taking it to the next level this year with a new voting algorithm and the brand new trail performance of the year vote. So visit fantasy.freetrail.com to make your voices heard. Get your votes in between now and December 11th for the rollout that will begin promptly on January 1st, 2024. For now, the Pro Athlete Blueprint with Aaron Lutzi. Enjoy the show. The Free Trail Podcast is presented by the brand new GS Oak. From Speedland, the fifth footwear commission from the world's coolest brand, the GS Oak was designed in collaboration with Speedland athlete Liam Lonsdale and also in collaboration with fellow independent running brand Path Projects. The GS Oak features all the great Speedland design considerations you know and love. Double boa fit system, proprietary drop-in midsole, removable carbon plate, 100% beaded HTPU external midsole, Michelin outsole, and all the trademark Speedland quality and durability to help you dominate your local trails. The gorgeous pink, purple, and black colorway might be 
my favorite yet. The GS Oak is made in extremely limited quantities, and I can't emphasize that enough. We do anticipate selling out, so get on it now. Pre-order is open at runspeedland.com with delivery scheduled in late December, just in time for Christmas. Runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your purchase. My bro, welcome back to the show. Nice to see you, buddy. Likewise, man. Pumped to be back. You've been here before. It's probably been about three years now. The podcast probably had a different name at that point, but you and I speak. How much do you think we talk on the phone? Like two or three hours a week, probably? A, a week or, or a day? I don't know. I think uh, <laughs> it's often and I'm here for it, man. I'm, I'm excited to actually record one of these conversations because there's so much that we share back and forth when we talk to each other. And to be able to share some of this out, I think will be pretty helpful for some people. I hope. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. And uh, your name is probably going to be unfamiliar to a lot of our core trail running audience, but there's been nobody in the world, maybe aside from Harmony, that's had a bigger impact on me and my career. And I love you, buddy. And I'm so glad to have you back on the show. And it's been a while. So I now have a new opening question for you, Mr. Aaron Lutzi. That being, what makes you, you? Please introduce yourself to the free trail audience by telling them what makes you a special person? What makes you unique? I think the moment that really defined my entire arc, if you want to call it that, was I was in my grandma's house a super long time ago, and I opened up a large print copy of Reader's Digest, which is super random. And I opened it to this page that said, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. And that just like completely leveled me. And I never let go of it. And I don't know if there's actually someone that that quote is attributed to. I've never been able to find it. But that one single quote defined my entire path of trying to use creativity to solve problems, to make things happen, to bring ideas into the world. I'm never someone who's necessarily asked for permission, but I've always chased down those dreams and done it in the service of the athletes that I've worked with and the content that I've made and literally every single facet of my life has been impacted by that one phrase. So that, that one quote, if opportunity doesn't, doesn't knock, build a door, that's what makes me, me. 100%. You are a door builder. You are a door <laughs> hanger. If there ever was one and we're all better people for it. Those of us who have been connected to you, you and I met each other through Red Bull. You were responsible for recruiting me into the brand. You acted as my athlete manager for several years before you moved on. And in a recent YouTube video, you say that the hardest part of that job was looking an athlete in the eye and telling them that the Red Bull partnership was over. Say more yeah. about those moments and how it led to your new project with Super Athlete. So, you know, that moment is never fun when you have to essentially end any sort of relationship. And, and that's truly what it is at Red Bull. I mean, we're so invested in every single athlete that I worked with. And, you know, for one reason or another, the, the relationship had to come to a, an end in a business sense. And that was heartbreaking because... I had been in, you know, boardrooms fighting for contracts for years and years and years for every single one of those athletes. And sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. And usually when you don't win, it's it's 
you know, it's a combination of things, but it's usually because that athlete is sort of sunsetting their, their competitive results. And it's a really difficult place to be in because that athlete has been putting so much effort into their career to maintain a high level of performance, but probably doesn't have a lot of extra time to build this plan B. And so when that moment happens, when arguably one of their biggest sponsors says, Hey, it's a wrap that person you can see in their eyes, like the, Oh, now what moment happened? And it's, it's almost worse than, than having to tell them the the news is watching them struggle to find what are they going to do next? Like, you got to go get a job or you got to go figure this out. And a lot of people return to zero at that point. And it's so devastating. And I know, you know, it's not, it's not something that's just Red Bull. I know that lots of athletes with lots of different sponsors have this exact same moment. And the idea behind super athlete was, can I help athletes get to the point? And throughout my career at Red Bull, this was something that I saw happening and I started trying to work ahead with athletes to help them build out, you know, what that plan B would look like, or not even necessarily plan B, but how could you make it where you never had to have that conversation with a partner where you just continued to grow and get better and build and get stronger. And you didn't have to rely on competitive results. If you could do that, then you would ultimately never have to have that conversation and if I could take everything that I learned and pass that on to every single athlete, it's basically the goal of super athlete. Yeah. So you've been in the in the industry for a long time. You were a sponsored athlete yourself. You've lived through such an interesting era in sports marketing, working for, you know, arguably the coolest brand from a sports marketing perspective at Red Bull. You were also in the industry as things move from like, analog media and results-driven partnerships to the age of digital and social media, and now this really interesting new era of partnerships. Talk a little bit about that moment of transition, because I think it's going to ultimately be important to the rest of our conversation. Like, What made that digital transition so important for athletes to, to think about professionally? There's a lot that's in there to sort of unpack because when you were, when it was just sort of a one way street in this like analog era where articles would be written about an athlete or about an event, it was just one way. The event would happen, the article would be written, the readers would read through it and then rinse and repeat. But there was never a conversation that was opened up. There was never necessarily a community built behind an athlete. And when digital media, social media came around, athletes could begin to have a two-way conversation. They could put out those direct things. They didn't have the gatekeepers of media in place, so they could be their own media entities, but then they could actually have a direct conversation with the fans and, and the community to say, hey, this is how the event went, or this is what I'm working on, and here's this. What do you guys think? They could even take feedback and have direct relationships with the people that were the most excited about what they were doing. So that was sort of social media 101 or 1.0. And where it continued to grow from there with a lot of these more longer form things like podcasts, like Twitch, like YouTube, like all these other ways that we can create now long form content, you can have an even deeper relationship with the, the people that are presenting and you can have a community that forms around it, whether you use Discord or Slack or a website or there's so many different ways to sort of collect a 
a bunch of people together and have them build their own relationships within that community and then have kind of this this beacon of the content itself. There's so much more now that it's not just a one-way thing where content comes out, people read it, and then on to the next. There's just this kind of perpetual motion of content that's happening around all these different topics, around all these different communities, these athletes. And it's really exciting to have a chance to be a part of that now. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why everybody who works with you loves you and over your left shoulder, there is the Red Bull marketer of the year (laughs) award, but both from an athlete perspective and I'm sure, you know, from your Red Bull colleagues and people you've worked with on the brand side, you know, you're probably one of the most loved people in the industry because I think you think about these things in a really kind of unique and holistic way and in a way that makes sense to a lot of people. And I want to draw some of the wisdom out that you've been sharing on your YouTube channel, starting with some misconceptions about why companies sponsor athletes. You list three of them. One, that a mega corporation just has money to burn. The second (laughs) is, you know, that they don't have to sponsor athletes, period. And the third is, you know, they're not sponsoring because you're good. Say whatever you want about those three misconceptions before we launch into the the reasons why they actually do sponsor athletes. <laughs> I actually think based on the conversation I've had with lots of athletes over the years, I do think that a lot of people have sponsorship completely upside down. And if they're just good enough that they'll get money. <laughs> and I think that you know, that might actually be the case in a couple scenarios, but you have to be doing a lot of other things right. Maybe partnerships come as a result of doing a lot of other things the correct way. But this idea that companies are supposed to do it, it's just backwards. And and there has to be everything that a company is putting out has some level of ROI, return on investment. And when you are at that company and you're pitching to sponsor an athlete, it doesn't matter if it's Red Bull or you know whoever, you have to explain to your manager or to someone else who controls that budget why that's a good use of resources. And in certain places, going back to Red Bull, they have kind of this well-worn path of like, hey, athletes are a great demonstration of giving wings to people and ideas. And this stuff matters to us. And we've always had success. In fact, our first major success as a brand was when an F1 driver from Austria won this race. And it was like the first big Austrian F1 driver win ever. And then at the end of the race, he was drinking a Red Bull and no one had ever seen what this was. And then everyone went out to look for it. And so like, actually, maybe part of the reason is just the history of the brand, right? Red Bull has this connection of like athletes are what helped us get started. So we're always going to support athletes. That's a very special case. Most other companies out there are looking for a return on that investment. And just being good is not the thing that gets you there. But all the things that cascade from building community and being you know, present and accessible and all these different things are a lot more valuable to to any brand aside from standing on top of a podium. So then getting to the reasons why brands do sponsor athletes, you have a few reasons and maybe we'll tick through a couple of them. The first one that you list is obvious, just demonstrating their product. The second one is just is demonstrating the values of the brand. Talk about that, how brands leverage athletes in order to share their values with a consuming audience. 
So when you think about brands being personified by an athlete, you could look at an athlete and be like, oh yeah, he's definitely X brand. Like he represents that brand. He is that brand. I get why those two work together. That's a hundred percent it. So Red Bull, for example, is always looking for people that are innovating, right? They want to be seen as an innovative company, which is why they're always pushing the boundaries with what athletes can do and and all these different things. So they want to work with athletes that are pushing different boundaries. Doesn't mean just winning. It can be the most creative athlete. It can be somebody who's completely different, or they might sign an athlete in a completely different category that you wouldn't have expected because that's in their mind, innovative. Um, we had a chess player at one point and uh, he's super famous now, Hikaru. And, uh, but, but way before Hikaru was Hikaru yeah. was on board as Red Bull's chess athlete, like who would have thought, you know? And so that demonstrates all those things demonstrate how they are innovative and by continued partnerships with people that are innovators that helps identify them that way as well. So maybe this is an interesting little rabbit hole we could go down because then as a Red Bull representative and sports marketer, somebody who's going out there actively looking for people who represent the brand values. I mean, you mentioned chess, like what a bizarre category to look in. It also reminds me of Lauren Much, our mutual friend and athlete who you recruited, who's a roller derby athlete. Maybe use her as an example of like how she was a representation of Red Bull values and how it ultimately behooved the brand to partner with somebody in that community. There's a lot of reasons that we, that made total sense to work with her. And, and for, for context, we didn't have any roller derby athletes at the time, anywhere in the, in across the globe. And so not only when we got her sponsored, we had to prove to Red Bull that roller derby was valuable and important and a big, cool thing for us to get involved with. And then after I got that across the line. Then I had to go back in and be like, now that I've got you on board with roller derby, this is the athlete. I think there's so much there that made it kind of fun. And, and going back also to Hikaru and the chess example. So, you know, Red Bull's line is Red Bull vitalizes body and mind. It's like the top of the can. And there's a lot of discussion internally about body and mind and balancing those things out where Hikaru is definitely more of like the mind side. So drinking a Red Bull helps you, you know, think clearly or think quickly or whatever. And I think that Lauren on the, on the scale of body and mind is like right there in the middle where so much of what she's doing in her sport is actually mindset. She has to be strategic about how she skates through stuff. She was so strong and, and, you know, had all that, but then she was also so technically and strategically gifted. It was this really cool combination of those two things. But also in that situation, one of the other boxes it ticked was that Red Bull was really focused on regional based marketing. And in Portland, the Rose City Rollers are like the coolest thing. And so what could we do to excite a local community as well? So it was innovative in the fact that it was like, we're we're going into a new sport. We're going to bring something cool there. We're going to work with the number one athlete in that sport. But we also know that this is important to Portland. So we're going to really go deep on this because we don't have a lot of other cool Portland things. This is obviously before you live there. Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, this is another, this is great because this ties back to the reasons why brand sponsor athletes, the other 
The other reasons that you provide in your video are credibility, brand visibility, and clout, right? And I feel like Lauren and her connection to the roller derby community provided those three things also, you know, absolutely from a brand absolutely. perspective. Anything yeah. you want to say about those, those other three before we move on? You also talk about activation too. So like maybe taking Lauren as an example or anybody else about like, yeah, developing that credibility, but then turning it into an activation that actually moves the needle. I think activation is sort of the next thing in line. So once you understand why companies work with athletes and you then get over the reasons why, the next thing is like, well, what do companies actually want to do with athletes? So you've identified all this stuff over here, but but then what? And activation is such an important part of it because it's not just about putting a sticker on your jersey and like, all right, here you go. Here's the product. Good luck. <laughs> the the brand actually wants to activate the athlete. And so an activation is sort of a way that they publicly connect the athlete and the brand, whether it's an event that they do, some sort of engagement where, you know, a lot of times within Red Bull, we would actually go to the distributors. I know you've been to more than a few. Yep. Uh, I was just there a couple of weeks ago in Concord. <laughs> nice. And and I mean, that's more of an internal activation, but it's a way where we connect like the cool things that we do with the brand directly, where you get to see it happen in person. And so events were a great activation. We would do athlete projects. Athlete activations would be sort of, if we were doing, say, like a movie premiere or imagine like a live free trail podcast or whatever, that'd be a way to kind of talk about athlete activation where there'd be some Red Bull presence and then you would have a presence there as well. And kind of, it's just really the same simplest way to talk about it is like, it's just connecting the dots between the athlete and the partnership. And there are a billion different ways to do athlete activation. And during the business planning cycle with pretty much every company, most of the work is around activation of the existing roster that you have. Occasionally you'll add one or two new athletes to the the team, but most of the effort is going to be around what does the activation of these partnerships look like? Mm-hmm. One of the things that you and I have spoken about for a number of years that I feel like you were a bit of a pioneer on is the, uh, I guess, like moving from a follower priority model to a community model. Why is community more important than followers? There's this really, really great article written by Kevin Kelly called 1000 True Fans. And in Kevin Kelly is the guy who founded Wired Magazine's big Bay Area quantified self kind of guy, like fascinating human. And he wrote this as a blog post, but it's inspired pretty much everybody. And the idea behind 1000 True Fans is if you built a community of a thousand people that would just always be down for your program, whatever you put out into the world, whether they came to see you, you know, in your case, racing or podcasting or whatever, or they would buy merch that you put out. They would basically just like be down to support your cause at the tune of about a hundred dollars a year. So if you had a thousand true fans, you're effectively able to survive on a hundred thousand dollars a year. And this idea of not needing to rely on sponsors and sort of being safe from the ups and downs of sponsorship is so important because when you are in the traditional sponsorship model, 
at best, you're getting maybe a two-year contract. And every year or two, you have to go kind of beg for another contract and continue rinsing and repeating through your entire career. And the problem is a lot of times, some of those brands, you know, they might get a new consultant, a new CEO, a direction change with their strategy. And you could be performing at your highest level, but still be back to square one. And that's a turbulent and difficult and not that fun life to lead while you're trying to do all this other athletic endeavor, right? And so this idea of if I had a thousand true fans that were down to ride for me no matter what, I don't have to go into this two-year cycle anymore. And I can just focus on making the best possible stuff that those people are going to appreciate and putting my energy into making sure those people are the most happy and excited about what I'm doing and not have to worry about some guy in a boardroom who's like looking at an Excel doc of you know, budget line items. And so I think it really just comes down to build a community so that you don't have to be subject to, to that guy over there, build a community that's going to be backing you and excited and helping you build, you know, into the next phase. So maybe what's the difference between community and followers and like somebody who has a lot of, you know, followers on Instagram, for example, how do they turn that into community? I think it has to come through long form content. I just don't think that short term content works when it comes to community. And the reason is so simple when you think about how you actually deal with people in the real world. If you walk into a party and you say hey to somebody and then you continue cruising on, that five second interaction doesn't really mean anything. And what is Instagram than, you know, a five second interaction with somebody's post? or maybe 30 seconds, right? But yeah. but the maximum you're going to get. What does that mean? How is that valuable to anybody? It's always like fun and maybe I'll send it to one of my friends or whatever, but like it's not meaningful, right? Long form content, on the other hand, if you're at that same party and we see each other and we sit and talk for 30 minutes, what is the level of trust? What is the level of you know, back and forth that we have that we've built in that 30 minutes. And what if we did that all the time? Like, it's not even a, it's not even fair. So long to build a community, it has to be through long form content. It has to be meaningful. It has to build trust. It has to build value. And if you do those things, that's how you do it. And I just don't think that having a giant Instagram following is the way to do it. It's, you know, the the only thing related to this is if you are going down this sponsorship model, the people who are making the decisions on if they want to sponsor you or not, which is, again, going back to this 1.0 that we've talked about, those people probably do use Instagram more than they use YouTube. Because if you're in a corporate environment, you if you're scrolling YouTube in a corporate environment, it looks like you're wasting time. Yep. If you're in, if you're on Instagram, it looks like you might be working. <laughs> so, so, so like, what's the language of the people that you're trying to reach sponsors, probably using Instagram community, probably watching YouTube or podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and the Orange Drink, the collaborative drink mix between Free Trail and our good friends at Gnarly. The Orange Drink is a new formula of Gnarly's flagship drink mix, the Fuel 2.0. Loaded with everything you need to keep you well-fueled and well-hydrated, the Orange Drink comes with an increased sodium concentration. You know me. 
self-proclaimed electrolyte evangelist. This Fuel 2.0 formula is my perfect trail elixir. The delicious salted orange flavor is both sweet and salty, the perfect combination to prevent taste fatigue and keep your appetite high, no matter how long you're running. The biggest bonus, Free Trail Signpost logo and my big goofy face are both printed on the packaging. One of the coolest examples of true collaboration my entire career. Visit gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15 on the orange drink or any of their other incredible products, BCAAs, performance greens, protein powders, collagen, creatine. They make it all and I use it all. So go check it out. Gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15. Okay. I want to talk more about the differences between those mediums here in a second, but I feel like while we're on this subject of long form content and that being at the center of the blueprint that you provide through super athlete, I think it's important to retell the origin story of this podcast. You were the catalyzing force behind it, something that I will appreciate forever. So tell the people how the show came to be and how you played into it. I think the, the genesis of the entire thing was a run that you and I were on and we were running through Forest Park, if I remember correctly. And you were just telling me how you loved sports talk radio and how Bill Simmons is like your guy. And you always like, you know, everything about every sport. And I knew most of this about you already, but you, you were really going deep on like, I love talk radio. I love talking about sports. I love talking to other athletes and, oh, you know, I don't know, like, this is so cool. And the whole time I'm running, I'm like, this guy needs to run a podcast like now. And so it was always something that, you know, we kind of started talking about that. Like what, what if you just started doing a couple podcasts? Like, that'd be cool. Like just, just record a couple and see what happens, you know? And, uh, I think this is common with, uh, some of my favorite podcasters where they are like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. And, um, you know, one thing led to another. I know there was a a podcast uh, class that, that I sent you to. And I think I may have even ordered all of your podcast equipment and sent it at one point. What you, what you did is you said, all right, dude, what do you need <laughs> to actually make this project happen? Like you've been talking about it for a couple of years. Like, what do you need for me? And then, you know, you basically covered the bill more or less, but also you were the encouragement that I needed to stop procrastinating and actually do something about it. I mean, I think to see it from the outside, it was so obvious that this is what needed to happen. And it, you know, it wasn't much to get everything going. Like you had the, you had the drive to do it. You had the interest, you, you loved this format and it wasn't much to just push you off the edge. You know, you were ready and to your credit, you've carried through, you've built and you know, it's not, it's not easy to do what you do to make sure that someone's available every week or maybe a couple times a week to sit down and talk and carve out that much time. I mean, this whole thing is you make it look easy, but it's really not. And you've put in a substantial amount of effort to get to where you are, but you, everybody just has to start when they're making this stuff and, and continue to, to go in and, and continue to, to build. And I think your love of the format really helped you get over that initial hump because I see a lot of people who start making content, they start doing long form stuff and then they give up because they let their short term results impact that long term vision and they, they can't see it. And I think you saw it because you grew up and you were on the other side of it. You knew what it would mean if there was a podcast like this, if you were able to do this and if you could just 
ride it out for a couple of years where it would go. And it's pretty cool to see where it is now. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Talking about the love of the format, it's true. I've always been an audio guy. And I feel like this is a good time to circle back to finding our medium, right? And if we're talking to pro athletes or aspiring pro athletes or people who just want to build a community within their sport, you know, like I never loved Instagram. I've still never opened TikTok. I've never been great with video, but I love audio. And I grew up on sports radio, as you said. I know you believe deeply in YouTube. So maybe say a few words about like finding the medium that suits you and, and why YouTube and video is your chosen domain. I think YouTube is great because you have this word of mouth if you're making content, but there's an algorithm there that helps kind of supercharge that. And for me, video, there's so many visual learners, you know, to, uh, YouTube is the number two search engine in the world. So people are looking for information. They're looking for entertainment. They're looking to find the things that we care about. One of the things that most people struggle with the most is what to talk about. People want to start a YouTube channel or whatever, or a podcast for that matter, and they don't know what to talk about. And as athletes, we have such a leg up on that because we have this thing that we love. And whether it's video or, or anything else, there are different formats that you could actually create in, in that space. It's not like you're locked into one thing. So for video stuff, you could be doing, you know, tutorial and how-to stuff. There's probably some space out there for someone to explain ultra running, like the how-to of it. You've got, you know, your stuff is there telling the stories around the athletes and telling the stories around the events. And you've got guys like Ethan and the Ginger Runner crew. They do a lot of product reviews, but maybe there's somewhere in between where you could actually do a little bit more tutorial stuff. Somebody could come in there or have more challenge-based content. There's so many different styles of, of content that still can be made. It's not like everything has been taken. And because there's literally billions of people on YouTube, you could be making almost the exact same thing as someone else and have completely separate audiences. And I think that's really interesting that there's that many people to connect with on a global level. I think it's so fascinating when you go into like YouTube analytics and you see where all the views are coming from. And it's not from your neighborhood. It's not from sometimes even the US. And uh, people connect in such a cool way around this content. Um, I think YouTube is is special in that way. And I think the the ability to find stuff on YouTube is probably why it's number one for me. Um, but I think yeah, there's, there's so much to work with. There's so many different styles. And just like we did at Red Bull with the athletes, one of the things that I loved the most there was the cross-pollination between different sports. So like you could have sat down with Hikaru or you could have sat down with uh, the, I'm spacing on the fencer's name. Uh, you know, you Miles Shanley-Watson. <laughs> yeah, you could sit down with any of those guys and compare notes. Like what's yeah. working for you? What's working for you? Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll try that with my stuff. And the cross-pollination was the thing that I thought was the most special. And people would take what they learned from each other and apply it back to what they were doing. And you can do the same thing on YouTube where you see, oh, that's what this channel did. That's interesting, but that's never been done before in ultra running or in my case, bike riding. I'm going to try that. And you could apply that and do something new there. There's so much opportunity to learn and build and grow. I don't know. I just find it like, sort of this yeah. never ending thing. You know, Miles is such a great example of someone when you look at him, you're like, that's a Red Bull athlete. 
right? Yeah. Like absolutely. somebody who absolutely demonstrates the values of a brand. So, so yeah. interesting. And I guess, yeah, just to add my own perspective, I guess it is kind of an intuition thing as we talk about finding the medium that works for you. Like, what are you naturally drawn to? Is it audio? Is it written publishing? Is it video editing and vlogging, things like that? But there's no question that that content creation component is central to building a community. So talking more specifically about Red Bull, give the listeners a sense of kind of the recruiting process, how you'd advocate for a person that you are scouting and, and how you shepherd him through the process and feel free to use me as an example if you want. <laughs> the process that I used to get you into Red Bull is now banned. <laughs> they won't let they want the let the new athlete managers do it. You're the way too I effective. Did. Thank God for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the process at Red Bull is still a little there's not like a hard and fast way to do it. Ultimately, so much of that brand relies on relationships, building relationships in different sports. And sometimes it's places that we've been forever. Sometimes it's new sports that we're kind of exploring and trying to figure out. But ultimately, it always comes down to relationships and understanding how do we fit in there? Can we bring value to this place? Is there something new that we could do here? And, and can we have some fun with it too? And so... We, we sort of identify first the sport. Do we want to grow here? Do we want to be here? Um, you obviously were you know one of the first, actually Carl Miltz was the first uh, ultra runner, but I think you were like right after him. I don't know if there was anybody else at that time. And now you look and the Red Bull ultra roster is pretty deep, mm-hmm. which is cool. We started something. It could be deeper. Uh, I'll talk talk to them about it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we, we saw this like, hmm, this seems really interesting. And it seems like people are drinking Red Bull in the sport at aid stations to kind of get through these big races. Maybe there is something really interesting here that we could be play a part of. And so, you know, those those first few conversations are like, we could maybe expand the athlete roster and maybe there's a couple of events we could target to support, even if it was just sending them product for the aid stations. Yep. And so we were kind of looking around and, and, uh, and Lisa from who was, uh, involved with you at, at North faces. I don't know if she was a team manager or what she was Lisa there. Burns, shout out Lisa to Lisa. Burns, yeah. Legend. So she had just joined Red Bull and she was like, you should meet Dylan Bowman. You two would hit it off for sure. <laughs> Thank God for Lisa too. Yeah. Yeah. Of she was she... responsible for, for bringing me into the North face and in connecting me with Red Bull. Yeah. So she Thank made God. the introduction between us and then you and I got, I did all my research, but then we met up in, uh, in Berkeley at Betty's ocean view cafe and had like, just to sit down and like get to know each other a bit. And I think, I don't know, I felt like maybe you thought it was more of like an interview and I was just excited to meet and hang out and talk about stuff. So we, we got together, got to know each other. And then I think I may have even said, and, and this was something that I always did when I first met people that I thought would be Red Bull athletes, I would always ask them, do you want to be a Red Bull athlete? And I don't know if anybody ever said no, but it was always an important intentional thing for me to ask that question. Do you want to be a Red Bull athlete? And the more enthusiastic the answer, the the more it would give me motivation and energy to kind of push that person through because you have to want to be a part of this partnership. And, and uh, you can tell when somebody's like, yes, I would love to have a sponsor versus 
yes, I know exactly what Red Bull brings to the table and I want everything that they can do because I see not only the impact that's about to have on me, but on all of the things that I touch in my career, because I've seen how they impact this, 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 this. And when an athlete understands that at the outset, it makes the next phase of this whole thing a lot easier because after you decide, yeah, this person is exactly right. The next thing you do is you map out, well, what does it look like for us to partner? So going back to that activation thing, what are we going to do together in the first year? Because by the time we get through all of the approval process, we get contracts to negotiate, we do all these things. In a lot of cases, it's about a year later. and when you get to that point, you don't want to be at step one. You want to be like, all right, so here's the contract. Here's your Red Bull hat or helmet. And now we've got budget approved to do this project with you in the next couple months. Let's go. You can activate it right away as opposed to, okay, we've got this contract done. So what are you all about, man? Like, what do you want to do? You know, it's a completely different thing. So while you may feel from the outside that it takes a year to get sponsored, that whole time is like pulling back the slingshot to get ready to have, you know, a successful, you know, right out of the gate. Yeah. There's two examples that I'd like to share with the audience that I'm not sure I've ever, ever talked about publicly from that recruiting process, which did take 11 months from the time <laughs> that you and I met until you presented me with my Red Bull contract. Number one, you may not even remember this. I'm not even sure we've ever talked about it, but you texted me like, Hey, can you go to LA next Wednesday or something like that. I was like, you know, whatever it takes for me to like get in. <laughs> sure. What do you need? You're like, okay, cool. We're, we're going to book it for you. I'll call you later and we'll talk about it. You booked me my flight and then called me and you're like, yeah, so we just like need you to give a talk to this run crew. It's like 200 people or something. I'm like this mofo, he's given me like two days notice to like go to give a talk in front of 200 people. And I always felt it was like some sort of a test from you. Like, can, can he like go and stand up in front of a bunch of strangers and not feel completely overwhelmed or like an idiot. And then also you may, I'm sure you remember this when you texted me and said, Hey, I need you to go to Austria to do the performance testing. This is sort of like the final phase of your recruiting process. And for whatever reason, I think I was like in between races, I just couldn't make the trip. And you said, okay, no worries. We'll do it in LA. Sent me to LA. And I went through two days of a rigorous battery of performance testing, including like a VO2 max test, a lactate threshold test. And then I didn't hear from you for like three weeks. I was like, shit, it's been 10 months. I'm right on the doorstep. And then I fail my freaking performance test and it's not going to happen. But then you called me and we made it happen. And yeah, man, one of the most important moments in my athletic career. And maybe this is actually a, a fun time for you to describe kind of like the opposite of what we started with when you're having to tell an athlete it's over, that being kind of like a helmet presentation in, in most cases. Talk about that that sort of like, um, I don't know, that important moment and and how what you do to try and make it special for the athletes. Yeah, that moment, there's nothing like it. To give someone their first ever Red Bull helmet or hat in this case was such an incredible feeling. And I was so lucky to be able to do it so many times. Honestly, what I would try to do 
later in my career as an athlete manager, when we would bring somebody on, I would also try to bring in somebody that that athlete really respected and have them be the person who presented it. So when Kate got signed, we actually brought Rebecca Rush in to do it. When Carson Storch got his helmet, Darren Bearcloth gave to him. So it was always somebody who was like a step ahead of them that they'd grown up watching was actually the person. Cause you know, uh, you know, I work at Red Bull or I worked at Red Bull, but I wasn't, I didn't mean anything to any of these people. I was just the guy that was connecting the dots. So way better to get your first Red Bull helmet from somebody who was, that you grew up, you know, idolizing essentially. How much more special could that be? And how do you make these moments as special as you possibly can? Because getting the helmet is a meaningful thing no matter what, but how can we like punch it up a notch? And the thing is like those moments were never, necessarily in front of the camera or anything uh, manufactured or anything, you know, definitely they didn't do a press release on any of that stuff. It was just for the athlete. And so much of what we did there was just for the athlete to have meaning behind it. And that's why, you know, the relationships were built so strong because we were so focused on bringing as much value to the athlete as possible. And it started with the helmet. And that was really such an important jump off point. I mean, the average length of a Red Bull contract, I mean, I don't know the exact number, but it's probably eight to 10 years. And that first moment is a big one because it sets the intention. It sets the the momentum for the rest of what your career is going to look like ideally. And, and, um, as an athlete manager, I took that really seriously because I, so much of what we did was based on just heart to heart conversations of like, what do you want to do? How can I be there to support you? What, what makes the most sense for us to do together right now? It wasn't just, you know, flashy, how do we, you know, do one thing that no one cares about, you know, it was always done with intention. And I think all of that stems from like building the relationship the right way. You may not know this, but not all sports marketers think that way. And it is those small details that make a huge difference to an athlete. I'm sure for Kate Courtney, her world champion jersey sitting over your left shoulder there to receive her helmet from the icon, legendary Rebecca Rush. Maybe we can come back and talk about both of them here in a second. I do want to maybe talk a little bit more about, because we've talked a lot about what athletes can do to be better. I do think it may be fun to come back and talk about what brands can do to be better too and what sports marketers can do to help their athletes be successful. But sticking with this athlete blueprint a little bit longer, in one of your recent videos, you talk about the five pet peeves of athlete proposals. And I want to talk about three of them here. (laughs) And the the first one is that I will do anything approach. What is the, I will do anything approach and why is it ineffective? An athlete will come in with no plan whatsoever into the proposal process. And ultimately that puts all of the, the work on the brand side. Like I'll do anything you tell me. And I get why that makes sense in an athlete's mind of like, I'm available to help you in any way I possibly can. But from an athlete manager side or a brand side of things, it's like, so you want me to tell you, like come up with what I need you to do for the year, especially on a new proposal where it's like, I don't know who you are. (laughs) I don't know what you want to do. And I would feel guilty sending you off to do stuff that you don't want to do. And 
from the athlete side, that can be really dangerous too, because it's like, oh, great. Well, actually, we've just rolled out this new initiative where we want to stoke out our distributors. So we need someone to go on a nationwide tour of distribution centers for the next nine months. You're in, you know, like that's a dangerous place to be too. But ultimately, putting the the effort on the person that you're pitching to, I think is a huge mistake. And, and a lot, and the intention I'm sure from the athletes is not to do that, but that's exactly how that comes off. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, the, the intention is, listen, I'm, I'm up for whatever, however I can be useful. You tell me instead much better to come with a plan, come with an idea, come with the energy and the initiative, because then, you know, you have a starting point from which you can yeah. receive feedback and you guys can iterate together in a collaborative way. The second one, proposals that are built on things that you've done in the past. Say more about that. <laughs> I used to go to this trade show called Interbike, which was like the bike industry trade show. And if I had a dollar for every single athlete I saw with like a crumpled up resume of their results from the previous year going into booths and being like, here's how I did last year. It's like, what is what is the value of that? Like, I, yeah, sure. I guess it gives you a little bit of like, yeah, this obviously I'm a good athlete. I know I'm again, it goes back to like, I'm good at riding bikes. Or I'm good at sports, you know, but that has no value to that sponsor because they don't get to participate in any of those wins that you just had. It doesn't mean anything to them other than, oh, this is somebody who could potentially end up on a podium. But there's so many factors that go into that. Did they just have an insane season? Uh, you know, like, are they still going to have results like this? There's no guarantee behind that stuff. And it's same thing. You're basically going in without a plan. Like, I don't know. I'll probably try to do the same thing again you go back to these reasons why partners get involved, like the ROI. It's like, okay, well, I guess we'll roll the dice on you versus somebody who's like, this is what I'm going to do. And in the, in that era, I actually was managing a couple athletes before I got to Red Bull and it made it really easy for me because I would walk into the booth of whatever sponsor we want to work with and be like, hi, here's my plan of what I'm going to do for the next year with this athlete. And I remember one bike sponsor saying to me, later after we'd done the deal, you know, it's crazy is that I was looking at that proposal thinking that you guys were crazy, but I also thought if they even get 25% of this done, that's going to be incredible. So I'm definitely going to go with these guys because I know what I'm going to get. And then of course we delivered almost all of what we said we were going to do. And so it was like a huge windfall for them. So it's important to include the things that you've accomplished in your career to at least establish your credibility, but Past results aren't necessarily predictive of the future. So it's much better to anchor things off like, here are my goals. Here are the things that I think I can achieve. These are my dreams. Please help me achieve them. And by the way, here's what I've done in the past that make it realistic that I might be able to achieve these dreams with you. The third, the third one I want you to expand on is athletes and the importance of like doing the research and being acting like a professional, right? And this is like something that very much ties back to demonstrating the brand values. Like the athlete needs to know who they're speaking to both personally and from a brand perspective. Say more about that. The thing that a lot of people don't get is this relationship of athletes to partners is a business to business relationship. And I think that athletes group themselves in with the consumer side of things and they think, you know, business to consumer. And when you're doing any sort of B2B business to business partnership, 
you have to do the research. You have to be able to demonstrate how this is going to be a valuable partnership for both sides and what value you're bringing to it. And to do that, you have to understand what the goals are of the other partner, and you have to understand where goals align. And that sort of Venn diagram in the middle is where the value is going to be created. And that's what you're basically pitching on. If you don't understand what that sponsor is doing or what they're trying to get done, you're not really meeting any of those things and you're not pitching something that would even be useful to them. Again, adding to the ROI side of things, the return that they're trying to get on a certain program, you might not actually fit into that because you haven't done the research to figure out where you fit in. And so you're just kind of pitching off into space. So the more targeted you can be, against their actual goals, what they're trying to demonstrate with their marketing and with their business, the better result you're actually going to get. If you if you realize that you are the perfect puzzle piece that's gonna fit what this brand is doing, it's a home run every single time. This episode is brought to you by Ketone IQ. I am not joking when I say Ketone IQ has changed the Bowman household for the better. My wife Harmony and I started testing this product earlier in 2023 and it has become a subject of almost daily conversation. The thing that is amazing is how helpful it is across both sport and especially lifestyle applications. I take a shot before all my workouts and long runs and definitely feel a deeper level of endurance energy and especially mental focus though i have nothing but my own subjective experience to back this up i have a hypothesis that it actually makes me a little bit mentally tougher which i absolutely need right now similarly ketone iq has really helped me to cut back on my caffeine intake while increasing focus and clarity during my long work days it's like you got the mental energy of coffee without the inevitable come down or caffeine crash ketone iq has been a legitimate game changer we couldn't recommend it enough visit hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30 to get 30 percent off your first subscription hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30 say more about this b2b thing because i think this is an important way to frame things psychologically for athletes who are listening because oftentimes athletes have the attitude of like, I'm good at my sport. Therefore I should be sponsored without thinking about how their skills will ultimately result in meaningful business outcomes for their partners. So anything else you want to say on like thinking from that perspective of like, how does my presence within this brand and organization lead to the brand having financial or economic wins? You know, the one thing that I think is important to add in here is that we talked a lot about results and it, when it comes to partnerships, right? And I think the other angle to this whole discussion is you don't have to go to contests or races or have results to be valuable to a brand. You have to have a community, I think, but you don't necessarily need to be a pro. And we've seen this in a lot of different places, including my own experience as a, as a YouTuber on my side. I'm about to be 44 and I'm about to cross 100,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel. So the other thing to think about is that you don't need to crush yourself preparing for competitions to become valuable to brands. And We've talked a lot about you know what the top athletes should be thinking about, but all these other people that are really interested and love their sport could learn so much as well, where 
actually, maybe you could design a way to be useful to brands by creating content, by building a community. And what does that actually look like? Because you going back to those same things about demonstrating value, demonstrating the product, having a community, having credibility, all these different things, you don't need to have race results to do that. And in fact, uh, there are a lot of different examples we could probably throw out of people that either don't compete anymore or haven't needed to compete in a long time because they're credible and because they can still do all these things and they've got a community that cares about what they're doing. And so I think to completely erase the results part of this discussion, you can actually still be beneficial and maybe even more beneficial to brands without having results, which I think is kind of an interesting approach. Yeah. So this is a great, I guess, companion piece to the episode that we just released with Eric Sensman, a longtime professional trail runner who's beloved in the community who had announced his retirement. You and I have spoken about this privately for a long time. You know, I've struggled with similar question marks in my own athletic career. Maybe talk about how athletes can effectively manage that transition moment going to the post-competition part of their career without like imploding the partnerships that they have and maybe provide some examples of people who've done it well. I think, you know, one of the main pieces of this discussion has been about content and community and this ability to sort of bring everyone along for the ride, no matter what. And I think that as long as you're consistently putting out content and consistently engaging with that community, the results don't matter. The, the, whether you're retired or not retired, it doesn't really matter. And I don't think you can really retire as long as you continue to communicate and build community. There is no such thing as actually retiring unless you like completely close down your laptop and give up. And I think, you know, there's a difference between retiring from elite competition or, or taking a step back from it or whatever, from, you know, completely closing it down. And I think that the people who have transitioned well have just kept that going because that's actually the most important part of who they are and what they bring to that community. I don't think many communities form around just somebody getting first place all the time. I think communities form around people that they trust, that they respect, that they want to hear more about their opinion. They want to see what that person does. They want to learn about what that person cares about. And that person does a good job of bringing their community along for the ride. And so you know, um, in, in your case specifically too, I think this free trail audience is just so fascinated to see how you conduct yourself throughout your life and how you connect with other runners and what you do. And you don't have to be in the top three at hard rock for people to care about you. And I think that's a, that's gotta be a good feeling, but also it should give you a lot of room to think about like, well, what are some interesting stories that I could tell about the things that I do care about or some projects that I've been wanting to try out. And what if these projects weren't results-based? What mm -hmm. would that look like? Because I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff out there. Um, man, there's probably a, a zillion different examples. Yeah. I mean, Rebecca Rush, uh, Rebecca, who was a, she's an endurance mountain biker. She, she did this film called Blood Road where she went along the Ho Chi Minh Trail to find her dad's, uh, her dad was shot down in the Vietnam War. And so she rode the Ho Chi Minh Trail, went to the village where his plane went down, visited the spot, met the villagers, continued on. And we made this film about it. And I remember talking to her right after she finished her career. And I was trying to explain to her, like, 
up until now, you've been worried about finish lines. And from now on, it's going to be about storytelling. And this is the first story that you're going to tell, but there will be more as you go on. And that was something that I think really, maybe she didn't fully appreciate at the time, but then as Blood Road came out and as she started telling more and more stories about adventures that she was going on, that became a lot more clear to her. And now she's got this huge, like she's doing speaking engagements. She's done all these incredible things outside of, of racing, you know, the be good foundation that she does, the events that she puts on. And she's just as relevant now as she was when she was world champion of, you know, 24 hour mountain bike racing and stuff. And I think it was just about identifying how storytelling creates community. And as long as you continue telling stories to that community, people will be engaged and and support you. Yeah. She's still a Red Bull athlete for like 20, 25 years. She's a legend. Absolute legend. Absolute legend. So I guess like what we're kind of talking about is job security at the end of the day, right? You said earlier, you know, typically contracts are to maximum three years. Like if you're have a great partner who really believes in you and who is committed to your sport long-term, but it's not unusual for athletes to have injuries for six or 12 months during one of those contract cycles. And one of the things that Eric and I talked about is just how draining that is psychologically to always be thinking about our job security. So I think you and via your, you know, super athlete platform and, and philosophy, athletes can learn a lot about how they can enhance job security and not necessarily rely on competition and results being the core of their success over a long career arc like Rebecca Rush has enjoyed. And I think this is actually a good time to to come back to something you said the last time you were on the podcast. I sort of asked you, I think like, what do you think are the trends of the future in athlete and sports marketing? And you said something about how you thought the best athletes would either not have sponsors because they'd be monetizing in other ways and they would just use the products that they wanted to use or they'd have their own brands. And since then, there's been a great example of that happening in trail running with, of course, the GOAT, Killian Jornet, who started Normal. We've also seen this trend with like, you know, Logan Paul and Mr. Beast creating these multi-hundred million dollar consumer brands off the back of their audience. So anything you want to say, any uh, victory lap you want to take there or or other like predicted trends for the future? I was right. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I really believe that more athletes can do exactly this and it doesn't have to be Killian level people to be able to get the job done. So much of this is just a matter of starting and staying consistent and learning from what you're doing and trying to apply those learnings on the next project and the next project, the next project, and not putting it all on, on your, your athletic career on, on how your body physically performs, like build out more than that, build essentially a long-term asset to have job security in the long run. And then you can make decisions of, I'm going to run these shoes instead. I'm going to have, you know, these poles instead. I'm going to do these different things because it's the right thing to do, or it's the thing that I want to do. It's freedom from that two-year cycle, three-year cycle at best. And I think that that's where more and more people should go. And I think people are going to figure this out. 
hopefully. Um, and if they do it by watching all the videos on super athlete, that's great. That's what I want. I just want as many athletes across the board to understand the impact of long form content and community building. If they get that, they can do anything that they want. I mean, here's an outside example, rich roll, incredible endurance athlete. He was a lawyer and he built a community of people that cared about the stuff that he cares about. And he doesn't have to be a lawyer anymore. He can do literally anything he wants. And he gets to talk to some of the most interesting people in the world because he's built a community around that. And anybody can do what Rich did. But also, he started a long time ago and just stayed consistent with it. And yeah. so this is sort of like a compounding thing that if you if you build something the right, you know, with the right intention and continue to grow, good things happen. That's a really interesting way to frame it too. It's like, think about building an asset for yourself because it's not your race results, right? Your race results are not a long-term asset that you're building. If anything, they can help be a building block of an external asset, like a YouTube channel or a podcast or a brand or a newsletter or something like that, that you actually own and can grow and nurture over time, but it's not your race results. Absolutely. I think uh, Eric Lagerstrom and, and Paula Finley, the two triathletes that we that we know and love, have done an incredible job with that triathlon life as well. I mean, they were competing. They still compete at the highest level, but they Eric loves making films. And so he puts out like a short film every week and it's just about their training and about their life and their dog and stuff. But people love that and people are there for it. And you know, I've, I've heard the same thing from Pace and uh, McKelvin, who does a podcast as well, the the Adventure Stash, the, the, the relationships that he's building, the community that he's got behind these efforts is meaningful. And at the end of the day, what we do on social media like Instagram, it's not that meaningful. Yeah. And that's really all, it's that simple. And it enhances job security. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so we've talked a lot about how athletes can build careers and deliver value to their partners. What about the opposite? You've obviously been on both sides, both as an athlete and from a brand perspective. What can brands and sports marketers do to better support and promote their athletes? And do you have similar pet peeves that you see brands do that compromise the effectiveness of their partnerships? I think one of the things that was the most interesting for me at Red Bull was watching what happened with gaming. And this is such an obscure example, potentially, but I was always looking across all the different things that we were doing there and trying to distill the value that I could then, you know, like we talked about cross pollinate to the other athletes that I was working with. And gaming to me was so fascinating where that, that's exactly it. They were building community through live streaming and through events and stuff like that. And that's where, you know, really kind of synthesize this idea of how important long form content actually is. But so many people in Red Bull were against gaming because nerds, I guess, you know, um, I don't know, but I just, I didn't see it that way. I just saw like, there's a reason why this gamer just made a hundred thousand dollars in an afternoon and donated it all to charity. Like something is going on here that is evoking a human behavior that people are connecting with. What is it and why? And I think the thing that a lot of people didn't recognize, they weren't, they couldn't disconnect themselves, uh, from the fact that it was gaming, you know, and this idea of being open-minded and looking for 
the, you know, these, these edges that they could then share out with the other athletes on their roster was a huge miss for a lot of people. And the people who did figure it out ended up being able to share that information out and help other people build their platforms and their communities and stuff like that. And the people who didn't get it kind of fell off. And so I think this idea of always looking for that next edge that you can pass along to your team in, in my experience, I wanted to make it easier for myself at the end of every year when I had to go stand in front of the global team and essentially say, this is why we should keep working with Dylan. This is why we should keep working with Pace and Rebecca, whatever. I needed to make it easier for myself so that I didn't have to be in that position that we talked about at the upfront about telling someone that it was a wrap. So I wanted to avoid that at all costs. And so my mentality was, what could I do to set up my athletes to make sure that they never fail? And how could I help them build the strongest possible careers? And surely we did all kinds of performance stuff too. We did all kinds of testing. We did all kinds of you know, projects and stuff like that. But ultimately it was, where are the things that I can bring in and share with my athletes to make sure that I never have to let them go? And that was that was my motivation the entire time. What about that interpersonal side of things? Because in my experience, you've been the best at this from a sports marketing perspective across all the brand representatives that I've I've worked with. How did you go above and beyond to like make things personal with athletes? I think everything started off with the relationship, you know, and and we talked about this earlier. It's 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 an hour, it's a year to to build into even starting the whole thing, and you have to use that time to build up and and get a good understanding of what that person's motivations are. You think about how you're going to work with them, and you try to get sort of in their head in terms of what are the things that Dylan cares about, and how can I care about those things because. I want to bring things to him that match up what he's looking for. And so I think just trying to be as empathetic as I possibly could with your career and how I played a role in that. You know, like I said, uh, average contract is eight to 10 years. Like you want that to be a good eight to 10 years, not just like a rocky, you know, whatever. And, you know, I, I, I'll be the first to say it. Like I, it wasn't always like that with every single athlete I worked with. It definitely had some, some bumpy roads along the way. It wasn't always perfect with everybody, yeah. but the more you, you really tried to lock in and learn from them. I mean, I went as far as becoming an ultra runner so that I could really truly understand <laughs> the thought process and get excited about what you were doing and stuff. And I think that really helped me in terms of engaging with your entire program. And it helped me hopefully come up with like, cool ideas for projects and stuff like that. Yeah. But that that was probably a little over the top for most. <laughs> it, I mean, it is the little things. And I think that was such a great example of a commitment to learning about my sport and my community and therefore a commitment to our relationship that you <laughs> decided that you would, because you wanted to learn more about trail and ultra running, you would sign up for ultra races yourself. But you've done, what, three or four 50Ks? You've done a 50 miler... 250 miles. 250 miles. That's right. Yeah. And who coached <laughs> you along the way there, Lutzi? You did. And actually, you've been to more of my finish lines than than my family has. So thanks for that. <laughs> but I also had an experience too. I um uh, uh way too cool 50k. They had Red Bull one year. We we set up a partnership yep. that year. And I remember it was like maybe mile 24, 25, you come up at the top of that 
big hill at the, toward the end of the race and they had Red Bull at the aid station. And I was hammered at that point. And I had a Red Bull and I felt like somebody flipped the lights back on. And I had this like incredible, like, whoa, this stuff is awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that helped that story. I carried into so many presentations after that, like, guys, this really works. Like we should be in more ultra running stuff, you know? So it helped me really understand what you were doing and how best to be a part of it. But it also helped me internally with the rest of the people who definitely weren't going to run ultras, helping them understand why it was so important for us to be there and really making the case for ultra at a bigger scale. Yeah. And it's something that I advocate still with Red Bull is like, you know, the product actually really helps and works in trail running. Therefore, it may be a good category to invest more into because, you know, it's probably better as a performance enhancer and a wings provider in trail and ultra running than it is in skating or surfing and, or you know, maybe even like other endurance sports just because of the nature of our practice, but also you also were so good at, I mean, when I broke my ankle, you were the first person to come say what's up and like see me in person. And, you know, just those little things of calls and texts thing. How can I help? You know, when are you going to start your podcast? How, you know, where's your head at? Things like that. It just makes a big difference from an athlete perspective when a sports marketer proactively reaches out just like it's great for the athlete to be proactive and initiate a lot of the plans for a partnership. It's also great when the sports marketer initiates a lot of that, you know, check-in and feedback and how are you doing and digital pats on the back, things like that. I tell you what, the hardest part of that job, other than when you have to, you know, graduate athletes from the brand, the hardest part was always post-race. Like it's great if somebody wins, but if somebody gets like third, fourth, fifth, or doesn't have a good result, what do you text them? What? Cause you can't not text them. You can't not reach out and be like, Hey, you know, you want to let them know that you're there to support. But the hardest thing for me was always like, what's the right thing to say? That's going to like keep their spirits up or, or like, I don't know. I'm not there. Was fourth place. Good. Was it, a, you know, whatever. It's so hard to do yeah, that. Yeah, But text. dude, you know, even that is unusual. Not every sports marketer does that, right? Like if you finished seventh or ninth at a race, you're like, shit, you know, I had a lot bigger ambitions for this one. It does make a difference for somebody to just say like, Hey, nice job. Go get them. You know, cause immediately the athlete's brain goes to like, that's not what they're expecting of me. That's not what they're paying me for, you know? And so if you don't hear that, you know, just simple word of support. It can just be a simple text. Then immediately your mind goes to, okay, like I'm underperforming what they expect of me. Therefore puts my career in jeopardy. Anyway. Literally hours of my life pacing back and forth being like, oh, what do I text him? What do I say? Oh, what do I say? (laughs) Just like good job, right? It's all all we need. Nice. (laughs) So let's start winding down. I feel like we could keep going forever, but, um, you know, we should probably do this annually, just like a contract season check-in. Uh, what have we missed from super athlete? Uh, I mean, obviously talk about super rider too, because you have two powerful YouTube channels. The super athlete one is brand new and something that I think will be particularly impactful for our audience. So anything else you want to say about super rider, super athlete, or where people can learn more? Yeah, Super Athlete's a YouTube channel that's 
basically dedicated to get any athlete in any sport to a successful point with long form content, whether it's podcast, whether it's video, and it's about just teaching the fundamentals and the basics of how to grow a channel. There's a ton of YouTube channels about how to have a big YouTube channel, but none of them are focused on athletes. And so there's a mix of sponsorship information. There's a mix of how to build a YouTube channel. There's a mix of how to think about building the channel up in the way that matches how you are as an athlete. And it's still pretty early days with the channel, but I'm putting stuff out every single week and trying to get as much information out there to help athletes because that's what I did for such a long time and something I kind of wanted to come back to. And it has been really fun to be on the other side of it, to to be sort of behind the scenes with you and Payson and all these other guys who, you know, the the stat that I love is like everybody that listened to me is now incredibly successful. So maybe I should share that with the world because I love watching what's happened with Free Trail and how you've expanded in so many different ways. And I love knowing that Payson is still crushing his podcast game. The the people who really listened to this advice in the early days are are essentially reaping the benefits now. And it's not anything that was special to Red Bull specific. It was just this idea that was planted of like, here's how you do it. This is how you build a community, take this and run with it. And you did. And and each one of you went in your own authentic way. It's not like you were running a plan or a, or a whatever. You just, the idea of I should build a community based on the thing that I love. And that makes it easy to put effort into it because it's something that you care about. And the people that are coming in care about the same thing and how cool to collect them all in one place and do even bigger things. So um, I want to provide that for as many people as I possibly can in any sport. And I think especially with all the NIL stuff that's coming on now, there's a lot of people that have the desire to be quote unquote sponsored athletes, but don't really understand it. And they're in that first phase of like, if I'm really good, I'll get sponsored, but they don't understand why. And I want to help people along that path as, as best I can. So true, man. Well, thanks for everything that you've done for me. And I think I speak for a lot of people and yeah, just sort of like, I don't know, just acknowledging the value that you've brought into to my career. And thanks for spending so much time on the phone with me every week and giving me so much guidance and hearing me out when things are really tough with free trail. And, and likewise, it's great to, to see you build your own, you know, digital content-based platforms also. And for our listeners, uh, Lucy and I may also be incubating another uh, media property here that we'll be hopefully making announcements about very soon. But final Watch. question for you, Lucy. Mm -hmm. Who is one person you admire, can be inside or outside of sports, living or dead, and why do you admire that person? I think someone that I really, really admire is Ryan Holiday. And I love all the stoic stuff and I love how he's distilled stoic philosophy down into stuff that like anybody can, you know, learn from and apply to their life. And I think there's something really cool and aspirational about anybody who can take knowledge and build, build it in a way where people can learn from it and apply it to their lives and have their lives improve. And it's, for me, motivating to, you know, thinking about super athlete, like, can I do the, the athlete version of that? You know, can I make something that every athlete could benefit from, can apply to their lives and have success? Um, anybody that, that has been able to do something like that is, is so aspirational to me, but I think, um, I'm just such a big Ryan holiday fan to begin with. And, and, uh, 
yeah, I think that's somebody that I really, really admire. The obstacle is the way. That's right. What are some of his other books? I'm trying to remember. I know I've read at least a couple of them. Uh, the Perennial Seller is actually a really great book for athletes to read, I think, because it, again, it goes into a little bit more of the bigger picture of why you're partnered and, and what it means for like a long-term uh, presence. The Perennial Seller. So we're leaving our listeners with some homework. Thank you That's so right. much for that. I'm going to go to Amazon <laughs> right now and pick it up. This is a, another uh, one of our great, uh, you know, pieces of our friendship. Lucy is just book recommendations. So thanks for that. Absolutely. Well, buddy, thanks so much again for coming on the show. And yeah, again, we should make an annual tradition out of this and look forward to pointing people towards super athlete. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to chat. Aaron Lutzi arguably the best human on planet earth. Make sure you go check out the show notes. I link to his Instagram and both his YouTube channels, super athlete and super rider. Super athlete is brand new, but definitely going to grow into a great resource for those who are interested in making a career in the outdoor industry or in trail running in particular. Free Trail Pro members, let me know what you thought of today's episode. Drop your feedback in Slack. If you're not a member, you're missing out. It's only $10 a month or $96 for the whole year. And it directly supports our efforts and comes with a lot of great perks. We are now doing welcome calls for all new members and sending welcome gifts to all of our new annual members our way of welcoming people to the community and thanking them for their support. Find out more about Free Trail Pro at freetrail.com or at the link in the show notes of today's episode. Thank you to our sponsor, Speedland. Run speedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 on the brand new GS Oak. Gnarly Nutrition. Go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off these great nutrition products. And Ketone IQ. Get 30% off your first subscription of Ketone IQ by visiting hvmn.com forward slash FREETRAIL30. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Go vote for Trail Runner of the Year. I'll talk to you again very soon. Love you very much. Bye-bye.